It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everyone, welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The 2016 Arizona Fall League season is in the books, guys. Mesa beating Surprise 6-1 in the championship game on Saturday. We are going to pretty much uh, just cover the Fall League in this podcast since it's over wow. and and there's plenty to talk about there. Uh, as far as that championship game goes, Ian Happ, really the big star of the Cubs prospect, uh, four hits in the game as they pile up the six runs and, and win it does Mesa. Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. You were there for that championship game. Uh, anything else stand out to you from that game? Yeah, I mean, Happ was, Happ was the obvious one. I mean, it was, it was interesting because on paper it looked like Mesa should win fairly easily because they were going to begin the game with two pitchers who had no-hit surprise a couple weeks earlier, and they had a deep lineup, and surprise was kind of out of pitchers using a reliever on the mound, and, and it lived up to that. I mean, Happ was the obvious guy. I thought the other guy who – there were two other guys who really jumped out for me were one, Brian Anderson, who, who had a, a very nice regular season there and helped his prospect status, hit, hit five home runs after – hitting just, I think, 11 during the regular season in the minors. You know, just got a high fastball from Eric Stout of the Royals and just crushed it well over the fence in left field. So he kind of continued the, the, the positive vibes he generated during the regular season in the fall league. And then I, I think I saw Frankie Montas pitch for the Athletics about four times in Arizona, and he was the second pitcher who helped combine on that no-hitter. He, he followed Dylan Covey. And Montas came in, and it was just lights out like I had seen him every time. I mean, I, he, he, he was consistently you know, working three-inning stints as he came back from some rib injuries. And every time I saw him, he was upper 90s and, and topped 100 and, and upper 80s and touched 90 with the slider. And, I mean, he, he, he was really impressive, too. He struck out, I want to say, five and three innings. Three strikeouts came on sliders. And Nick Gordon, who is a pretty polished player for his age and, and you know, obviously grew up around the game, Almost literally, almost fell over trying to hit a 99 mile an hour fastball in on his hands for Montas. So Montas was well, was was dominant. Uh, he he, you know, I, we didn't rank him as a top pitching prospect in the league, but man, he every time I saw him, he looked very very good. It's interesting to me that that there is a championship game, I guess, to the AFL, but you're paying playing competition, so why not? But Jonathan. At the end of the day, these are players from different organizations kind of coming together in groups to form these AFL teams. When it gets to the end of the, 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 end of the season, they've played together for, for a month or, or over a month. Um, is there kind of a camaraderie by that point from what you've seen over the years? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, it's obviously this isn't uh, the, the be-all, the be end-all in terms of vying for a championship. It is not having, uh, you know, gone through a full season and, uh, and things of that nature. They're not even playing every day. But, listen, these guys are competitive and they want to win. And you can, you can see in that championship game uh, that there's a desire to 
to come out on top. They get rings for it. And, uh, you know, you talk to any, any professional player, uh, you know, especially if they've been around a, a little while, any chance you have to play for a ring is a good thing. Uh, and, it, and it definitely shows. You know, they, they understand that it's within the, um, you know, within the confines of what the fall league is like. Uh, but I can guarantee you that Mesa was very excited to, to have walked away with the title. All right, you guys both have great articles up on MLBPipeline.com right now. Jim has an article, Top 25 Prospects of the Fall League. And then, Jonathan, you have Top 10 Breakout Prospects from the Fall League, which is a little different because I think it's more guys that aren't necessarily top, top prospects but did a great job in the Fall League to kind of raise their stock. You have eight position players, two pitchers on your list. Is there one guy from that list that really stands out position-wise as a guy who boosted up the stock a lot? Hmm. I, I like putting together this list. It's the second year I've done done that. Um, and you know what? I think if I were going to pick one guy, I think I'd have to go with Jared Miller, um, lefty from from the Diamondbacks, because I think he probably raised his profile more than anybody else. Big six seven lefty. Uh, fastball sort of slider cutter combination uh, and was ridiculous. I mean, 18 and a third shutout inning, six hits, four walks and 30 strikeouts. Um, just snuck him onto the, he wasn't even on the D-backs top 30. He is now, we needed a replacement. Uh, he's, he's likely going to move up when, when we re-rank. Now he's a reliever only, but uh, he certainly looked like a guy who could pitch high leverage innings late in games. Uh, you know, people wanted to, sort of compare him to Andrew Miller, which is, is obviously not fair. But, but uh, in the pond that is the Arizona Fall League, the, the comp work. He was the Andrew Miller of, of the AFL. And I was actually wrong. You actually have three pitchers on the list. Yep. Miller along with Edgar Santana of the Pirates and Austin Gomber of the Cardinals. Um, the other guys, position players, Greg Allen of the Indians, Brian Anderson of the Marlins, uh, Yu Chang Chang, shortstop for the Indians, Ramon Laureano of the Astros, uh, Andrew Stevenson of the Nationals, then Zach Vinci, who we had on the podcast a week ago of the Reds, finally Eric Wood of the Pirates. Um, how about a position guy, Jim? You've, you've seen this list of Jonathan's. Overall, I guess my question is, do, do you agree with all these guys, and is there a position guy that stood out to you on there? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought it was a good list. I think all these guys did were did really help their profiles. Uh, none of them were really anywhere close to making the top 100 prospects list, uh, you know, which we highlight at our site, and, and a lot of them weren't ranked very high, or some of them not at all on the team top 30 list. I mean, but the, the guys, position players, and there are a number of them who stand out on here. I think the one who, who maybe came up the most when I was working on, on my prospect list is a guy who, who kind of flies under the radar a little bit but is pretty talented would be the Indian shortstop, Yu Ching Chang. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he, he's you know, kind of, you know, I feel like I kept saying this about Nick Gordon, that Nick Gordon lacks a stand-up tool, and, but he does a little bit of everything, and I think he's going to be a pretty good big league shortstop. And I kind of feel the same way about Yu Cheng Chang. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a, a, a plus tool there, but, I mean, he's he might be average or better across the board, even power-wise. I mean, he had 51 extra base hits during the regular season. Um, he's, uh, you know, a pretty solid shortstop, not a gold glover. And, and, you know, talking about guys breaking out, 
I mean, it, you know, good for Chang because he, he needed to get noticed. I mean, he's in an organization where Francisco Lindor is his shortstop, and I think Eric Gonzalez is a guy who's ready to play in the big leagues as everyday shortstop. So he's got some massive roadblocks ahead of him. But, uh, you know, based on the, the reviews I got from him or about him out in Arizona, uh, a lot of teams noticed him. So it wouldn't surprise me if if we see the Indians make another significant trade if somebody tries to go out and get a Chang, you know, if, you know, maybe Eric Gonzalez too. But he he was really a guy who who was not on my radar, and I saw him. And I said that's a, that's an everyday player in the big leagues at some point. Jonathan, you mentioned that Miller had moved into the D-backs top thirty, and before long, you guys are going to be working on the new top thirties for all the teams, re-ranking things before we get ready for the twenty seventeen season. How much do you guys put into – I know a lot of that is just talking to scouts and getting feedback, but how much do you put into the Arizona Fall League performances when you guys are starting to rank these guys again heading into the next season? Yeah, I, I think you have to be careful with that because uh, it it's a small sample size. The league historically has been a, a really good hitters league, uh, so you know, numbers can be a, a little bit skewed uh, offensively. Quite often, so you know, I don't think you want to overdo it, um, but I think certain performances, you know, are going to to stand out uh, and enable you to move uh, a guy up the list. You know, it's not it's not like Jared Miller suddenly going to be the Diamondbacks' number three prospect after not being in the top thirty based on the fall league he had, but he was so dominant. You know, and I think in, in his case, it's a fact. That it's in a hitter's league and he was so dominant uh, is a good sign. So it definitely is taken into consideration. Um, you know, you obviously want to see what they do after, whether it was just a, a one-and-done kind of thing or it's just actually something clicking. He was a guy who had been a starter who, you know, still learning how to relief. So, you know, I'm of the belief that for him anyway, uh, it's really starting to, to click. And, you know, I think I'll – move him up a, a relatively weak systems list accordingly. Jim. And I was just going to follow up on that, Tim, and say, I don't think it's so much the performance that you necessarily notice on some of the guys. It's how they did it. Like, for instance, and we'll talk more about Glaber Torres, like Glaber Torres is another guy who will move up closer to the top, the top 100 prospects. And as good as he was, and he was really, really good, it wasn't like, you know, those of us who cover prospects for a living, Jonathan, you know, I think you'd agree with this too, we're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm shocked that Glaber Torres is hitting line drives and, and driving the ball. You know, I mean, we, we knew he could do that. I think with a guy like Jared Miller, he, he's the guy you notice more, because, you know, especially a relief pitcher, just when you saw the stuff, you know, you know, is, you know a mid-'90s fastball and a mid-'80s cutter slider with, with very high spin rates, and you see how nobody can, can touch him. You know, it, it wasn't so, so much just the stats – as it was, you saw he had two really good pitches. So I think that matters more, you know, what you might see a guy do or how he does it than the actual numbers he puts up. A nice transition. Glaber Torres takes us into the top 25 prospects of the fall league, according to Jim Callis. And, Jim, uh, Yuan Moncada we thought was going to be a big part of this fall league season, but he got injured early on and, and didn't play enough to, to qualify for this list. So, uh, we're not going to go through the whole top 25. People can go to MLBPipeline.com and check that out. Obviously, uh, great players on this list, some guys that we've already talked about here in the podcast, Nick Gordon, Ian Happ, uh, some other guys uh, as you go down the list. Uh, but number one on the list is Glaber Torres. Uh, you just talked a little bit about him. Um, 
youngest batting champion. He hit 403. Uh, MVP of the league, so really a no-brainer that he would be number one, uh, age just 19. Uh, Jonathan, we just heard Jim talk a little bit about Torres. What what stood out the most to you of what he was able to do in Arizona? Oh, man. Um, that's a long, It could be a long list, but, you know, I think <laughs> the thing that stood out the most to me is how he carried himself. Uh he he looked like he belonged, not just there, but you know, as a big leaguer in the you know, not too distant future. Uh, he obviously wasn't overwhelmed based on how he performed, uh, but you know he was playing second base for the first time. Really handled it fine. Um, and this is this is a, a young man who, my, my first day in the fall league seeing them, he came over and introduced himself to me. Uh, he's working on his English. Uh, you know, he's he is the complete package. To me, it was that confidence without being overly cocky, passion for the game without it. You know, without him getting out of control. Uh, and I think all of that is going to serve him extremely well. Um, you know, and I'm not even talking about the physical tools or what he did. Uh, you know, in, in the games, that was just sort of to me how he carried himself. He's got to be on a fast track of sorts, right, Jim, at this point at 19? I mean, there's no rush, certainly, to the Yankees. They're okay in the middle infield, uh, certainly, um, right now with Castro and Gregorius. But the way this guy is hit, um, you got to just let him go where he can go at this point, right? Yeah, no, I, I think when you have special players, and I think Labor Torres is a special player, they set their own timetable. I mean, they're not trying to rush him. You know, he's still going to get to the big leagues you know, at a very early age because he won't even turn 20 until December. I mean, I think realistically, I mean, he, he's going to go to double-A next year. If, he, you know, if Glaber Torres you know, continues to perform like he can, and it seems like each year, one thing that really sticks out for me is that the scouting reports on him seem to get better. Like, like they, the Cubs knew, they could hit when they, knew he could hit when they signed him. I think the power is better than people thought it would be. I think the shortstop defense is better than, than people thought it would be. His hands are just so quick at the plate and in the field that he can just do a lot of things. But I think if he goes to double-A next year at age 20 and has a really good year, I think it, it might, we might see him in the big leagues next year, depending on what the Yankees' situation is. If they're contending and, and let's say, Gregorius or Castro is hurt or not performing well, or let's say they need a, a third baseman and maybe they put Castro over there to put Torres in the lineup, you know, I, I think that will dictate it. If the Yankees are, are, let's say, you know, out of the wild card race, then I think you let him, even if he's tearing double-A, up, stay in the minors. And, and I just want to say, too, you brought up a question. I had somebody ask me this. Or you, you brought up Mankata, and I had people ask me, well, if Mankata had qualified for the list, if he played for in more than six games, who would you have ranked as the number one prospect in the league? Because Mankata is number one at our, on our MLB pipeline list. And I saw Mankata play two games. I didn't get to see him play, play as much as I saw Torres. And I think you could really go either way on that. I mean, I, I think, and, and uh, Jonathan can follow up when I'm done with this, but when we do our top 100 list, I think Labor Torres is going to rank in the top five or six prospects in baseball. And you, know, you could maybe even argue top three. But with him versus Mankata, I think for, for ceiling, Mankata's got a higher ceiling because you know, we, we keep coming back to the Robinson Cano with more speed comparisons. And I do think those are fair. I do think Mankata's looked like that. But Torres has got a pretty good ceiling, and I think he's got a higher floor. I think he's a better hitter than Mankata. I think he's a safer bet to hit. He's got more defensive value because he can play shortstop. He, he's not as strong and as fast as Mankata, 
Although, I mean, they might put up similar home run numbers because, like I said, I think Torres is a better hitter, and he might, you know, get more out of the power than the Mikata does. But uh, it would have been an interesting question had I had I had both of them to rank. And Jonathan, Jonathan, what say you? Where do you think Labor Torres gets ranks in our our next top 100 that comes out in January? Because I get asked that question a lot. Yeah, no, we've been getting it, and uh, yeah, I without having really looked at it too carefully, um, and I think I you know answered in the inbox. Uh, I think I said top five, um, you know, with, without really lining them up just yet. Um, you know, it, just based on what we saw, and I yeah, I like what Jim said too in terms of that his scouting reports keep getting better, uh, and he's always been so far ahead of the curve age-wise that it's scary to think that, you know, how much more there might be in there in terms of the offensive potential. Um, So, yeah, I I don't want to go beyond top five because I don't want to look at it a little more closely. But, you know, if you told me that Mankata would be one and Torres would be two, I could certainly believe it. So no real uh, doubt about the number one spot in this list with Glaber Torres. How about two and three? Because you have another couple position players there, Jim. Uh, Cody Bellinger, number two. Aloy Jimenez of the Cubs, number three. Um, imagine if, if Torres was still a Cub and you look at this list. But when you looked at those two, are they pretty close? Yeah, they, they were very close. I mean, to me, they were kind of the obvious second and third guy, whatever order you're going to put him in. I mean, I, if, if you wanted to argue Michael Kopech, because Michael Kopech looked pretty good, and I'm sure we'll touch on him in a moment, you can maybe argue him in there. But, but I thought it was Bellinger, Jimenez. And what was interesting to me was talking to scouts, and everybody liked Eloy. They, they did. That wasn't the question. But he was not as, as – you know, I kept getting a couple comments that, you know, the lower half was thicker than people thought. Uh, the run times to first were below average, um, that, that he wasn't quite as athletic as people thought. And even though it seems odd to say, I mean, Cody Bellinger, his primary position, his first base, is, is faster and more athletic than Eloy Jimenez. I, I think they have similar power ceilings. Uh, you know, they're, they're both very advanced, you know, power hitters for their age. Um, what I like about Bellinger is that when he kind of made the transition from more of a pure hitter to a power hitter in 2015. His strikeout rate went way up. And this year he brought it back down again without losing the power and increasing his patience. And the nice thing with him, too, is even though, again, it seems odd to say that this first base, that he's, he's athletic and his primary position is first base, but it, it's true. I mean, he, I've had guys put a 70 on the 2080 scouting scale on his defense at first base, and he played a lot of center. In the fall league, I, I think at the major league level, that's more of a fill-in type of deal. He, but he can play the corners in the big leagues, and he's going to have to because Adrian Gonzalez is still under contract for two more years. And I, I suspect we'll see Cody Bellinger in Los Angeles at some point during the middle of the season. If he doesn't get traded, because we've heard those rumors as well as far as, as the Dodgers go. But right now, as far as now staying put with uh, Cody Bellinger in Los Angeles. Jonathan, um, how about you and your thoughts on those guys? Similar? You know, I kind of was trying to get myself all fired up to make some sort of impassioned Eloy Jimenez should be number two. Um, <laughs> but it, that all made sense. You know, when when I first gave Jim feedback for the list, I, I, I think I said I'd probably put Jimenez uh, ahead of Bellinger. I also saw Jimenez more, and I saw him early. Um, I, I don't think he could go wrong, really, as a 2-3. That's, you know, pretty close. And, uh, but I'm totally fine with it. And Bellinger is sort of a, an unusual 
uh, guy in that regard just because of the athleticism at a position where you don't normally see it. Uh, and, you know, he swung the bat well, too. Um, you know, uh, I think we're going to hear, be hearing a, a lot from both of them. In the future, we'll be hearing more, you know, from Bellinger uh, earlier. Then, you know, we'll see how long it takes Jimenez to, uh, to, to make the climb, you know, that he's gotten through that, that first full season. All right, and then let's talk some pitching a little bit. Jimmy, you throw out Michael Kopech's name. You have him at number four, uh, Brent Honeywell at number five, Francis Martez at number six. Those are the top three pitchers on this list. And I guess Kopech stands out so much because of, of the velocity, but it seems like he's really starting to, to control command that velocity a little bit, right? Yeah, he did. I mean, I, I did see one start. Like, he, he walked, if you, if you throw out one start, and they obviously all count, he, he walked two guys in, in 20 and two-thirds innings counting the Fall Stars game. And then there was one start where he wound up walking six, three and two-thirds, although interestingly enough, he didn't give up a run because he battled around the walks, and his catcher, Mitch Garver, threw out three base stealers. Um, but, no, it, it's... You know, he and he and Honeywell were kind of one and two, but I think the gap for me was a little bit more than the gap was between Bellinger and Jimenez. There, there just wasn't a starter in that league who had Kopech stuff. I mean, Martez was probably the closest, but I mean, I, I saw Kopech I think three or four times, and he usually sat, averaged 98 miles an hour with his fastball, um, and, and there were times. You know, the, the secondary pitches, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't pitched a lot. I mean, he did have a suspension, and he did break a hand in an altercation, which, you know, obviously those aren't good. But so he, he hasn't pitched as much as a young guy his age normally would have anyway. But, you know, the, the slider at times was a swing and miss pitch. There were reports. I, I didn't see it as, as good in the starts I saw, but I, but I think his first start of the year was pretty spectacular, and there were guys throwing a plus changeup on him there. He, he made strides with his control. You know, as I was saying about Torres, I mean, you know, the guys who are special players tend to write their own timetables. And, you know, would I think it's impossible that Michael Kopech could be in the big leagues by the end of next year? I don't, because if he gets a little bit more consistent with that control and command, the stuff is, is just very, very good. Uh, Kope, the Red Sox are an organization, guys, that, that really – as far as front-end, top-of-the-rotation type ace pitchers, I guess John Lester was the last one that really they developed. Uh, is, is this guy really looking like he's going to be the next one, Jonathan, or are there still a lot of question marks? I don't think there are a lot of question marks. You know, uh, he's, he's got to uh, you know, show continued maturity uh, on and off the field, and he's got to command the baseball. And he did both of those things this fall. Um, if he continues to do that, then the sky's the limit. I mean, the stuff is there. Uh, you know, those are the only question marks. Those were those were large question marks. I mean, I think he still needs to answer them long, you know, long term. Uh, you know, again, this is a short amount of time. But uh, if he's going to have a walk rate like that, and he's going to command the baseball overall like he like he did in the fall, then forget about it. Yeah, and he's going to top triple digits consistently. Amazing stuff. All right, uh, good stuff, guys. One more thing I wanted to touch on, and I know it's your favorite topic of all. Um, obviously, he's not on either of these lists as far as the top 25 prospects or the top 10 breakout performances, but Tim Tebow was still a huge storyline in the Arizona Fall League. Um, we didn't know really what we'd see going in, or, Jim, maybe you had an idea what you might see. 
Um, but I'll start with you. What are your thoughts now on Tim Tebow after seeing him play consistently throughout the fall league, even if he wasn't there all week long, he still got a lot of game time in in the AFL. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. I mean, for a guy who left to go be with the SEC Network, and I think my position on that was <laughs> has been stated a couple times on the podcast. I mean, he got you know as much playing time as a typical fall leaguer. Um, I, I will say this: I, I kind of had two thoughts. And one, I mean, I still don't think he's going to be a big league player unless it's because he's Tim Tebow and the Mets call him up. You know, just for that reason. I mean, he's he's. Very rough in the outfield, very rough on the base pass. Um, and, you know, the power is the most impressive tool. The raw power is, and I just didn't see him get to it in games. Uh, you know, he, he just does not lift the ball. He does not barrel and lift the ball with any kind of consistency. I, I don't think he ever – I mean, he hit some doubles, but I don't think he ever really came close to hit one out of the park. But that said, I, I will give Tebow credit. He's – <laughs> all that I know that wasn't a glowing scouting report, but uh, he actually was better than I thought he'd be, and I will admit that. I, I thought, you know, I mean, this is a guy who hadn't played baseball in 11 years, and the fall league is probably roughly equivalent, I, I would think, you know, to, to double A. You know, the hitters are, are ahead of the pitchers, so maybe the, the pitching's like a little bit, you know, on average, maybe a little bit below double A quality, but but close enough. But, I mean, you have guys who, you know, you know, can throw, you know, there's a lot of relievers who come in and throw 95, and you're facing, you know, outside of the starter, a lot of guys are pitching one or two innings at a pop. So you're getting guys with their, their stuff at their best, they're pretty fresh, the relievers are pitching every third day. Some of these guys have nasty breaking stuff. And for all that, Tebow, I, I thought, you know, he might swing and miss, you know, strike out in about half his plate appearances, and that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, he, he, he made reasonable contact or a lot more contact than I thought he would. I mean, he did not have the worst strikeout rate in the league. wasn't wasn't particularly close to it. And and he didn't chase a lot of pitches out of strikes in. Did he have trouble with good breaking balls, you know, especially, you know, left on left? Yeah. But, I mean, so do other guys. He, he wasn't – if guys were pitching fastballs, you know, six inches off the corner, he, he generally wasn't chasing. And the other thing that I'll give him credit for is he, he did make some adjustments. I, I still don't think he, he – he, we didn't see him get to his power. But for a guy who at the beginning of his fall extent – it seemed like all he did was strike out and then hit a bunch of ground balls to first base and an occasional ground ball to second base. He did start going the other way a lot more often, using the whole field instead of just trying to. But, you know, he, I even talked to him after his last game about how he was pulling the ball like almost exclusively early, and he said, "Well, I wasn't really pulling the ball so much as I was rolling over on it, and you know, it wasn't a good kind of pull." He, he, he did make that adjustment, and the last two games I saw him play. Again, I still don't think he's a big leaguer. I did see him get three hits, and all three hits were, were squared up, line drive, hard hits, legitimate singles, and he walked twice. So he, he, he was a lot better at the end of the season than he was in the, in, at the beginning. So I will give him credit for, A, exceeding my expectations, B, you know, showing the ability to make adjustments, and C, showing some improvement at the plate during you know, what is it, you know, six weeks is a relatively short time. Jonathan, what's next in the Tim Tebow experiment? Uh, I mean, I guess he'll, uh, you know, he has an off season, you know, he takes what he learned from the fall league and what it's going to take to, to try to compete. And, uh, you know, put the work in that way. Uh, I think he needs to continue to work on sort of his baseball athleticism, flexibility, things of that nature, uh, as much as he can, uh, and then get ready for spring training. And then the, you know, the, Mets will have to see what the, you know what they think he's ready for, 
obviously he he's the, the clock is ticking so presumably he'd have to start you know at some advanced level Florida State League um you know and and, and see see what happens from there um you know it's uh we'll have it's really a wait and see kind of thing with that but I, to me that's what the approach is going to be and then if he really struggles there then i guess he's going to have a decision to make in terms of know how long he wants to keep trying this are you uh in the same general boat as jim jonathan or are you uh a little more optimistic more down where do you lay i i am i am in the in the same exact boat as 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 jim uh i'll drive the boat if you need to break (laughs) perfect all right guys fantastic stuff as always and hey uh, Thanksgiving coming up quickly. This is kind of the Thanksgiving edition of the uh, the Pipeline podcast. You guys enjoy the holiday. You too, Tim. You too. All right. This has been the Pipeline podcast for Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.